welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode 166 for Saturday the 17th of August, 2019. Coming up this week, I'll be getting an end-of-term report card from author Bill Kokus, who got to see my writing in its completely unedited form. I'm back advertising on Facebook after being banned, and the rapid release preparation gathers pace, with new covers created and promo slots now being booked in. Welcome to this week's podcast diary. A little bit unusual for me this week, because I'm going to be telling you about things I'm going to do, rather than things I've done. Normally I record this on a Friday afternoon, but I'm recording it midweek this week, simply because I've got other things going on later on in the week. So I'm a little bit confused about the timescales, but what I'll do, I think, to to make it make sense to you, is I'll give you the dates that I'm writing and editing, and hopefully that will get the sequence right in everybody's head. So with that said, I'm on a writing break at the moment. I haven't done any writing since we last spoke, but I will be writing. By the time you listen to this, I will have written. So I'm writing 5,000 words or thereabouts on Thursday, the 15th of August. And I will also be writing another 5,000 words on the 16th, Friday, the 16th of August. I will be getting up early on both days. So it's going to be five o'clock starts, um, roughly writing five till six, six till seven, make a cup of tea, (laughs) check the emails, and then I'll write Usually it's about 10 till 11 just to finish off the last stint and we'll be going out somewhere in the afternoons with the family on Thursday and Friday. So as I say, when you hear this, I will have written, but I haven't written at the time of recording this just to confuse everything. Also, as far as editing is concerned, I edited on Monday, the 12th of August, chapters one to three of two years after. Tuesday, the 13th of August, chapters four to six, and Wednesday, the 14th of August, chapters seven to nine. So I'm in this bizarre situation at the moment that I I need to get two years after out fast. This is the last one where I've got a a lot of pressure on, because not only do I need to write it, I need to get it edited, and I need to get it out there in quite a a rapid time frame. There's plenty of time for everything, but I, I can't hang around with it. It needs to get done. So I've already written 15,000 words of two years after. So Monday 12th, Tuesday 13th, Wednesday 14th, effectively I'm doing my first pass edit on that. Then on Thursday 15th, Friday 16th, I'm writing up to 25,000 words, which will take me to halfway through that 50,000 word book. So next week, when we come to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I will then be going back to edit words, uh, what is it, 15,000 to 20,000 and 20,000 to 25,000. So it's a little bit like I did with Now You See Her, in that I'm writing, then playing catch up with first pass editing, writing, playing catch up with first pass editing. That's the last book I think it'll be that intensive with. I've got a little bit more wriggle room, a little bit more time with the other novels. So a bit of a funny week this week, and we're away at the weekend again. We're going on our jollies at the weekend. So, um, you know, those of you who sort of think this is really intense, well, obviously, I'm still getting a lot done. But actually, I'm also having a summer holiday around this. We're still going off and we're doing things and we're having adventures. So the work's getting done, but so is the play. 
So in general news this week, I haven't, I haven't got a load of news because it's just a little bit funny, the routine that I'm recording in at the moment, but I will bring you up to date with the news. Uh, I've got my Book Sweep Thriller promo running at the moment. That will finish on, when does it finish? It finishes on, when does it finish? I can't find when it finishes. Um, it must finish this week then. <laughs> I thought I'd got that recorded. Oh yes, it, it finishes on Wednesday the 14th of August. So that will be finished by the time you listen to this. I don't get the numbers straight away. It usually takes a week or two while it's all getting processed. And then I'll get a spreadsheet with all the email addresses on it. So I'll let you know. Uh, I haven't even had it from the sci-fi book sweeps giveaway just yet. But I'll let you know what the numbers of new subscribers are when that information comes into me. And also on Monday, the 19th of August, uh, I've got my book funnel, my Insta freebie and my story origin promos starting. Uh, book funnel was, has been full for a long time, as you know. Insta freebie is about 23, 24 at the moment. So I, I'm going to just do that. I'm just going to say, what the heck? Let's just run these. Lots of people have, have joined the giveaway. So I am definitely going to run that. Uh, not Insta Freebie, what's it called? Prolific Works. I am going to run that Prolific Works event. Story Origin, I've only got about, I think it's 10 or so in. Do you know what? I might just run that anyway, because I was looking at the people who have submitted to that. They've all got lists of 2,000 subscribers. So if there's only 10 in there, we're going to get 20,000 subscribers. We're going to hit 20,000 subscribers between us. If I get 100 new subscribers from that, maybe 200, I'll be quite happy with that. So I think I might give Story Origin the benefit of the doubt. And just say, what the heck, <laughs> you know, let's just do all three of these. Let's see what it brings in, in terms of new readers. I'll add those to my mailer light list and hopefully we'll boost it by 500, maybe more, if we're really lucky across all the events that I'm doing. So I'm minded at the moment to run all those events and I will let you know how we get on uh, if I go ahead and do those. I'll let you know what the progress is and what the numbers are with those. Something I realised after I recorded last week's podcast episode, one of the things I said to you is that 20 books in Edinburgh felt different this year. And it's fairly obvious why, why it felt different to me, I think. I said one of the things is that I felt a bit more intimidated by it this year. And I just realised why that was. It was one of those Homer Simpson Doe moments. And the reason for that was that most of the people or many of the people there, of course, have been there for three days beforehand. They'd had three days in which to be chatting in the bar, chatting over lunch, meeting each other in sessions. And so the reason that it felt different this year was that we were effectively, those of us who came at the weekend, we'd arrived at a party that had been going for three days. And so quite clearly, it, it did feel a little bit funny because most people had grouped off, got got onto bunches, found pals and things like that. And, and those of us who arrived late were kind of Billy Nomates in many respects. We had to kind of we had to start doing that. So they got that natural advantage from us. I, and I don't know why that didn't click when I was saying to you last week. But the conclusion is the same. Obviously, it's harder to jump on a moving train than it is to jump on a train that's static. And it was jumping on a moving train because that moving train had been moving for three days when I, when I arrived on the sort of Friday and started joining in things on the Saturday. Uh, the solution and the conclusion is still the same. I should have just gone to the whole thing. I should have been there for the seven days. That's the conclusion. And it was the conclusion last week. So I just thought I'd throw that into the pot and mention it because I think it's worth, it's worth knowing. It is much harder to attend an event where everybody has, has got to know each other and you're, you're coming into that situation. 
I wanted to mention Publish Drive to you this week. I got a press release. I'm very impressed with Publish Drive in that they're, you know, I'm not a big podcast. Clearly, I, I talk to a lot of very new authors. So I'm talking to authors, I guess, at a, quite an influential stage in that you don't come to the party ready-made. You haven't figured all this stuff out yet or a lot of the listeners to this podcast are in that situation so i guess it's a good stage for published drive but i'm you know i don't have the audience of um you know mark dawson or joanna penn i've got a, a fraction of the audience that they have so i'm very impressed that they they reach out to me individually they said they don't send me a one of these round robin emails but they reach out to me individually uh, they do me the courtesy of of acknowledging that they've kind of checked out the podcast and they know that I'm talking about them. And that's really all you could expect from people. And, and they've sent me a personalized email with my own referral link in there. And basically, they're, they're just updating me on this um, published drive abacus service, the royalty splitting service for co-authors. Now, you know, I'm really interested in this because I'm just about to launch collaborations with Adam Nichols, and I'm just about to launch one with John and James Evans. And what this allows me to do, rather than me running blind and getting royalties uh, you know, on a retrospective basis, what this will allow me to do is to see my money, see the money as it comes in, uh, to know what I'm earning. That will allow me to budget. That's really important to me. And I was delighted to see that with this latest press release, and I, I can't get in it yet because I don't own the book. So I'm waiting for Adam. I'm waiting for John and James. They, they need to actually upload the book. And they're not, I don't think they're quite ready yet. I think Adam's just about on the point of uploading it. Um, in which case, when he uploads it, he can sort of bring it into Publish Drive and then he can invite me to share it. So I think, I think that's the process. So I can't actually get in there yet to, to, to see this and have a play. Um, but, but Adam has said, yeah, that's fine. We'll do that. And John and James, I know, are also minded to do it. But what it allows us to do, this is very clever. This is one of the things I asked uh, Kinga to do when we were chatting for this podcast is, um, as far as I understand, it allows you to manually add financial elements. Now, if they've done that, and I say, I can't wait to get my hands on it, um, it, it not only does it give you the royalties, but it would also allow me to say, oh, I've paid, maybe I've paid, spent £100 on Facebook ads, and obviously we need to half that cost. And maybe I spent £30 on um, you know, Amazon ads, and we need to half that cost. So as, as far as I understand it from the press release at the moment, you can not only split your kind of royalties, but you can also deduct amounts, shared amounts. So it gives kind of a running total and you can then pay the balance to your collaborator. Now, if Publish Drive managed to do that, you know, they really have hit the holy grail of a collaborative piece of software. I think that's just amazing. So at the moment, I'm just having to go off press release information. When I get my, my mitts on Abacus, um, uh, will be one of the first authors to get in there as collaborators. I will let you know how it goes, how it works. And I might even make you a little video about it and put it on YouTube just to, to so you can see how it works. But the pricing for this service is just $2.99 per title per month. Now, you know, to me, I, I, and this is why I've been recommending it to Adam and John and James, is the amount of time you're going to spend messing around accounting with this stuff. If you do it in your, uh, what is it, your book report it's just a lot of messing around and as you get more collaborators and more books the whole thing gets really complicated so to me two dollars 99 per title per month is not a lot of money to pay to have all of this done and for complete transparency in the collaboration process so i'm really interested in abacus i've put a, a link a referral link my referral link on the resources page if you want to check it out and as you know listening to this podcast you know i already like 
using Publish Drive to list my books on Google Play and to list the books wide in uh, lots of foreign territories. So I'm a big fan of Publish Drive and I'm very interested in this abacus um, system that they've got. I'll let you know the minute that the books are listed, our collaborative books are listed, I'm in there. I'll let you know how it's going and what it looks like. Uh, I've put my referral link on the resources page. If you use that referral link, it doesn't cost you anything more, but it does give me a, a kickback. I don't even know what the kickback is, to be honest with you. It gives me a referral fee, and that, of course, helps to support this podcast. I just wanted to mention a couple of uh, podcasts, other podcasts, to this week, uh, because I've been doing some listening and I've heard some good stuff. I'm pretty sure, but I just wanted to be certain that I've mentioned that Claire Sager is back with Confessions of a First-Time Author. I've gone all the way, it was quite a long episode catching up, and I've gone all the way through that episode now. And I have to say that I really, obviously I enjoy hearing Claire's news, but I really enjoy Claire's tips. I think this is the thing about podcasts, is that whoever you are and wherever you are in your writing career, you'll always learn stuff from other people. I really enjoy Claire's tips. I get a lot of value from the tips that she gets, as well as obviously listening to her thoughts and her processes about publishing her books. So Claire Sager, Confessions of a First-Time Author podcast, that's back. Make sure it's in your podcast feed, your stream. I also mentioned Dan Wilcox last week. I saw Claire and Dan at 20 Books in Edinburgh. And Dan's podcast is called Great Writers Share. And I just wanted to recommend that this week because I think that's the best interview I've heard with Michael Andalay of 20 Books fame. And I can't tell you why I think it's the best interview. I just felt like it was more information-packed. Maybe it was the questions that Dan was asking, but I really enjoyed it. It's a long sort of one-hour interview with Michael. Maybe it's just that Dan's brought it up to date. Maybe it's just that I haven't heard an interview with Michael recently since he's got into seven figures. But I really enjoyed it. So I highly recommend that interview to you and Dan's podcast, of course. And I was very pleased to see that Alyssa Grosso is back with her Awkward Author podcast. That appeared in my feed this week. It just popped up when I was refreshing it. And I thought, oh, lovely, she's back after the summer break. I had expected that to be September, Alyssa. So I was very happy to see you back. Um, And Alyssa does these uh, author income reports. And I really recommend these to you. Because they're, they're very gritty. I think, I think in the last month, the last income report, it was about $46, I think. And you know, this is the typical experience of most authors. It was certainly the experience that I had very early on. And I never count my chickens. I'm not going to go back to the, that, that sort of level of, of author income. But what Alyssa's earning there is more typical of what most authors earn. There's nothing unusual about that. That's most people's experience of it. Um, so I think that if you're, you know, if you're at that stage, and Alyssa is an experienced writer, she's been traditionally published, and she also makes uh, a living online selling other things on Amazon. So it's really just this, this author bit that she's trying to crack. She's very honest about it. Again, I enjoy hearing about her writing struggles and, and breakthroughs, uh, but those income reports are, are really good. And if you're if you're unhappy with what you're earning, if you just think, oh, am I the only one who's who's not earning more than $100 a month, then do listen to Alyssa's podcast because I think you'll get a lot of reassurance from that. Now, Alyssa's doing you know lots of things. She's doing all the right things. She's following best practice. And um, she's writing a, a trilogy at the moment. I think probably she's writing that trilogy because she's realized that you kind of need a trilogy or a series um, to, to break through those numbers because then you can start advertising on BookBub and, and free booksy and bargain booksy. And when you've got a series of three, uh, you can make money from that. Um, and, and so, you know, you, you get that whole progress in Alyssa's uh, podcast. So I highly recommend it to you. Three podcasts there. Add them to your podcast feed. I'm sure you will enjoy them. Um, the, the kind of pace of the 
rapid release, rapid re-release preparation is continuing. Now I've got all my covers from Stuart Bache. If you recall, and you would be forgiven for forgetting a lot of the detail of this stuff, I have created two new box sets within the books that, I've, that I'm writing and, and bringing together. So I've got a box set which is going to have female protagonists, and I'm writing the last book of that box set with two years after at the moment. And also I've got a box set of titles that are just uh, psychological thrillers with a lot of action and adventure in them. And I've, so I've, I've got the box set 3D covers, which I ordered on Fiverr this week. And they cost me about £10.50 to get these lovely box set graphics done. So I've grouped together Friends Who Lie, No More Secrets and Two Years After as a box set because they are female protagonist stories. I've also boxed together Dead of Night, One Last Chance and So Many Lies because they are the action adventure stories. And I've got these lovely, really high quality, beautiful 3D covers. And so obviously I will launch the books individually. And then at some point in the rapid release sequence, I'll launch the box sets as well. And so I've now got the graphics ready for those. That's another job done, another tick box completed. We're just moving on constantly with all of this stuff. The other thing that I've done this week is I'm back advertising on Facebook. Now, you might recall a couple of weeks ago, I told you that I'd got a fix or what I hoped was going to be a fix for being able to advertise on Facebook. And a podcast listener, and please forgive me, I, I couldn't find the, the message because I get messages on Twitter and I get them via email and I get them via comments on the blog uh, and I get them directly through Facebook. I sometimes know I've had a message. I can't find where the message came from. Um, so forgive me if, if you are the uh, podcast listener who, who mentioned this to me. But the technique that I've used is that I have basically I'm on a business manager because I manage lots of different accounts. I, I manage a corporate account, too. And because I have access to Business Manager, I have simply set up with a new payment card and new Facebook pages, a new account, a brand new account. And that's what I'm advertising on. So uh, this is the, the workaround for when you've got an account that's banned. So I've now got two new Facebook pages. One is called Great Sci-Fi Reads. The other is called Great Thriller Reads. And there's nothing on those pages at all. I'm not making any attempt to put any content on them at all. They are simply created as a page to map my Facebook adverts to. I have a brand new card. I'm using a Revolut card that I happen to have that I used for cryptos and foreign exchange. That's a card I've never put on Facebook before. So I've used a Revolut card, a card that hasn't been listed previously on Facebook to, to pay the bills. And I started slowly at first promoting the secret bunker. And then I thought, well, do you know what? I might as well, I need to test this. I need to see whether I'm going to get banned again, whether the book's going to get flagged. So I've been also uh, sending traffic, sending sales traffic this week to Don't Tell Meg as well. And I held my breath when I was sending traffic to Don't Tell Meg. So I've got my, I've got my phone with me now. I'm just going to tell you what I, how many clicks I've had this week and what I'm paying for them at the moment. Um, and actually, I actually find it easier these days to read my data off my, off the mobile app. So I use the Facebook ads app on my mobile phone. And I have to say, I find it an awful lot easier to navigate just to get that, that quick response to which ads performing best. How many link clicks have I had? What's my cost per click? So I can tell you that for don't tell Meg so far, 
I've spent £14.65. I'm just testing these. Oh, by the way, I'm using the images that I created on BookBrush last week. So I'm using the Facebook-sized images that I used on BookBrush as my promo images um, for Don't Tell Meg. So these are these lovely 3D images of my book on e-readers and, and, and on book covers. If you want to have a look at the demonstration that I gave, you look at episode 165 to look at the kind of graphics I'm using in these adverts. So I'm using BookBrush adverts, £14.65 spent on thrillers, I've had 124 link clicks for that, and I'm paying 12 pence per link click on Facebook at the moment. Let me just go to my sci-fi reads. Just excuse me while I navigate through the app. Where are my sci-fis? Great sci-fi reads. So with The Secret Bunker, I've spent £18.70. I've had 151 link clicks, and I'm also paying 12 pence per link click there. And I'm sending... Uh, people directly to my sales pages on Amazon. One of those goes to amazon.co.uk. The other is going to amazon.com. Now, if you recall, I'm modeling all of this on Adam Nichols' interview that I did. If you want to listen to Adam Nichols' interview, make sure you catch the second interview because that's where we dig deep into rapid release strategies. But if you listen to that interview with Adam, what he said is that he wasn't getting any kind of sales. He wasn't making any remarkable money right into weeks five and week six of his rapid release. It just felt like normal. A little bit of a little bit of money coming in, but not very much. Nothing really was happening. But during that time, he was sending traffic to his Amazon page. And that book was Amazon exclusive at the time. And so he was paying for Facebook traffic, but he wasn't really seeing a return on his results. And he thought, when if you listen to why he thinks he did well, he said he thinks it was because he was just sending so much traffic to the Amazon page, whether it was converting into sales or not. Now, I can tell you that whenever I run Facebook ads, and I'm not really doing a brilliant job of tracking this, so I know that to track your Facebook ads, really, you should use an Amazon affiliate link with a tracker code in it so that you can see what, what you're selling and what referrals came from. But at the moment, frankly, I just want to get the money running on a new card I want to get some traffic and some adverts running on these ads just to make sure it's all good to go when I start the rapid release. So I'm not doing anything technical. I've just written off £21 one for, for, for a sci-fi ad and £21 for a thriller ad. And all I want to do is pay the bills, get the traffic going, get approved, make sure there's nothing going to come and bite me. I'm not going to get flagged. I'm just testing that account. But I can tell you that I am making more sales with both of those books. I can't... I just can't... There's a correlation between I'm advertising and I'm making more sales. But what I can't do, you know, it might just be the way the wind's blowing this week. For all I know, it might be nothing to do with Facebook. But I could, I'm definitely making more sales as a result of that. And the bottom line is, I go back to what Adam said. I'm trying to replicate what Adam did. Clearly, um, I need to dig into this and I need to try and make more sales from the Facebook ads. But in terms of traffic and the web traffic and the cost of that web traffic, I'm paying 12 pence per link click to send somebody to my Amazon sales page and so that's not an astronomical amount to be paying there and I'm quite happy with that because I'm sending people based on authors um, Harlan Coben's Linwood Barclays uh, the sort of people who would read uh, those books so I'm not unhappy at that click cost clearly later on I need to be digging a little bit deeper into this to make sure that I'm not wasting my money but I take you back to what Adam said he reckons that so long as he was sending traffic to those Amazon sales pages. That was one of the factors that contributed to his success. Now, apparently, I was delighted to hear. Now, again, apologies if you were the person who sent me this and I've forgotten who sent me it. But somebody sent me a blog post 
titled why are so many facebook ad accounts getting shut down i do i do apologize i get sent so many notes during the week because i'm a, a little bit disorganized we've been away this week i'm not as on top of this stuff as i normally would be thank you if you're the person who sent me that link but i've given that episode a link uh, listen to and i've put it on the show notes for this week but it's basically a guy called rick mulready who i've never heard of before but the podcast just goes into detail about why people's ad accounts are getting banned and he says that he's spoken to facebook and the procedure that i've used to get back advertising on facebook is actually a procedure that facebook themselves endorse stroke recommend that's what it says in that podcast episode so so what what he's saying is facebook have told him that's okay if your account gets blocked that it's you know it's not cheating the system in any way so i took a lot of heart from that uh, but i've put the link to mick mick rick mulready's uh, podcast episode just one episode that's worth listening to if you want to listen a little bit more about that this is what you would do if your facebook account got frozen just like mine did also, by the way, um, I, obviously, I'm getting ready to advertise again. I'll be advertising on Amazon. I'll be advertising on Facebook. I'll be advertising on BookBub. So if you recall, I got Dave Gochran's BookBub Ad Expert. I think I got it on a Kindle, first of all. But there was so much information in it. I went straight out and bought the paperback. Well, this week, I'm going through the paperback, and I'm scribbling underneath it with a pencil so I can just extract the kind of formula that I need to use and I'm intending to, well, hopefully, uh, by next week, I should be running some test ads uh, as per Dave Gochran's guidance. And again, just like the Facebook ads, that's me just warming up for rapid release so I can find the authors that work for me in my genre. And then when I'm releasing new books and they're priced down at 99 pence for the week of launch, I can start to send some traffic to those through BookBub. So this is all gearing up for rapid release. Now, at the moment, I've just been shuffling my promo budgets around a little bit. And remember, I have accounted for zero income. Um, I'm assuming that I make no money at all from all of this promotional activity that I'm about to get involved in for the 9th of September. Because in my budgets, I want to know that the money's in the pot and sitting there ready to go so that I don't get disappointed because I didn't make £500 that I needed to make. So I'm only budgeting money that I know I've got in the business at the moment. So at the moment, my budget is going to be for each book. So I'm going to launch a book on a Monday at 99 pence and cents, and it will stay that price till the Sunday. And then the Monday after, I'll launch a new book at 99 pence, and they stay there till the Sunday. And that's what I'm going to be doing for at least 10 weeks. So I, for the seven days that that book is 99 pence or cents, I will send Facebook ads to it, £5 a day, seven days a week. I will send BookBub ads to it five days a week, seven days, uh, hang on, five, seven days a week, five pound a day. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So I've got a Facebook budget for the first six weeks of 35 pound per book per week. Same with BookBub, 35 pound per book per week. Plus I've got just a general Amazon budget because however much I try and spend my Amazon uh, budget, I won't be able to spend it. So I've got a notional budget of £75. So I don't think I've ever managed to spend that much on Amazon ads, but I will be thrashing them and trying to spend that. And I'll increase the budget if it runs out. And I've also got £100 per week per book available for email promos. Now this week, when I was on Fiverr getting those 3D covers uh, booked, I got a little reminder of previous contractors and I've worked with on Fiverr and it reminded me about BK Nights. Now BK Nights is the book promotion website which I rate really highly. It costs five dollars 
And I've always had a really good bump in traffic from BK Nights, and it only costs $5. I think they do a really good job. And frankly, for $5, who really cares for that? You know, £3.50, who, who cares? So long as they send a few sales your way, it doesn't really matter. So I contacted the, the person at BK Nights and said, I'm planning on doing at least 10 promo bookings every Monday from the 9th of September. Can I do a block booking? And BK Nights got back to me and said, you don't need to do a block, block booking. All you need to do is just make sure you book the Wednesday or the Thursday before you want it and we will fit you in on the Monday for all of those Mondays so just make sure you give a sufficient notice and we will fit you in so that's very um, exciting I'm definitely going to book uh, every book is going to go on BK Nights and then I'll mix and match the other sites just to see which works best another thing I did I can't remember when I did this it was just one of these little evening jobs that I did I made a list of websites that will allow me to promote with no reviews on my books because of course uh, these are books are being re-released or newly released and they haven't got reviews on them so on that list is newinbooks.com indiesunlimited.com and what was the other one oh the uh, and i've got three links there that actually list um websites that have or hold free book promotion so i've got one at readsy i've got a uh, one at fkbt.com. I don't know what that site is. And I've got one at Kboards. So what I will do in this week's resources, I will give you that list of five URLs so that if you too don't have reviews on your books, you can find some websites that you can use to promote them. I made one of those, why did it take you so long to come to a decision poll decisions this week? And you may recall that I said to you that I was probably going to leave Don't Tell Meg Amazon exclusive because I am going to submit it to BookBub for one of the featured deals. When is it? Next week, isn't it? The 25th, 25th of August. And and I, I, I really, I want to send it to the Amazon exclusive, but I was dithering because obviously we know that it's easier to get a BookBub deal if you list wide. Well, I just had one of those moments of clarity this week and I thought I'm going to list it wide. Because what I want is I want to get another deal on Don't Tell Meg ASAP. I don't want to wait for it. And I just felt, you know, if I take a chance, I might get it if I do Amazon exclusive. If you remember, the first book that I ever got was on Don't Tell Meg and it was Amazon exclusive. That was quite an exceptional thing to happen. I would rather do it Amazon exclusive because I would rather have all the reads and the, um, you know, the, the income directly from Amazon. But I just chickened out this week and I thought, you know, what I, what I want is I just want to get, I want to squeeze one more out of Don't Tell Meg as early as possible. So really, I've got two months to do this. I either need to get one at the end of August, or it'll be the end of, hang on, August, it'll be the end of October, I think. Well, it'll be sometime in October if I don't get this one. Uh, and, and then I'm going to take it off sale, and they're going to be part, they're probably going to be part of the rapid re-release. I'm probably going to edit them very quickly um, and use them as part of the rapid re-release because why not i've got another three books and another box set so uh, and, and i'll throw them in when i've got momentum so I, I got two chances really before that happens to get a book bub so i thought I, I just need to increase the chances so i'm going to list it wide i'll list it wide submit to book bub twice take it off wide again make it kdp select and then they will at some point become part of my rapid re-release now what i'm not sure um, I'm going to share all of this with you, by the way, when, when I get to Saturday, the 7th of September, when I get to that episode, I'm going to do a special rapid release update. And I'm going to share with you a spreadsheet that I'm using to plan all this out. 
so that you can see at a glance everything I've got to do over the weeks with this rapid re-release. I'm telling you, it's going to make you tired when you see it. I've got all the dates in there when everything has to be done. So it's just like a little rapid re-release che checklist. And I'll share that with you. You'll be able to get the link for it on Saturday the 7th of September. But when you look at that spreadsheet, you'll see that when we get to week 10, I have a potential fork in strategy. Either from week 10, I can start to launch Left for Dead, then the next two books in the Walk and Base strategy, which I will then at that point launch 28 days apart. Or I will bring in the Don't Tell Meg trilogy. I'll leave the Walk and Bay trilogy and I will launch... I'll carry on with the weekly launches. So from week 10, I'll do Don't Tell Meg. The Monday after, I'll do The Murder Place. The Monday after that, I'll do The Forgotten Children. The Monday after that, I'll do The Box Set. And the Monday after that, I would launch Left for Dead. And then 28 days after that, Morecambe Bay 2. 28 days after that, Morecambe Bay 3. So, so I've got forks there, and I will decide what to do nearer the time. So this is why I'm talking to you about Don't Tell Meg. I want to get it. I want to get a book bub. I want to get that income in if I can, because I know that's going to be great for income. It'll also give me a bump on Amazon. But to be safer, to increase my chances of getting a book bub sooner rather than later, I'm not going to sail close to the wind. I'm not going to submit it Amazon exclusive, even though I might get lucky. I'm just going to list it wide. I'm just going to go with what works and what we know works. Course of less resistance because I want that money in if I can get a, a, a Don't Tell Mom Meg book bub in. So I've got two months to have a crack at that, and then I have to take them off sale and factor them back into my rapid release. So I'll be doing that uh, throughout this week, by the way, just to make sure that those books are uh, listed wide again. Okay, uh, quite a lot of activity on social media this week. And uh, I just want to mention uh, Pip Reed. Pip was getting excited about this tech podcast episode that I'm doing. So today you're going to hear Bill Kokos doing a review, giving you a review, an end of term report on my writing. Then next week, Julie Corden, I've recorded with Julie. She's going to give you a breakdown. She's going to give me feedback on my writing, tell me the good, the bad and the ugly of that. The week after that, on the 31st of August, I'm going to do my tech toolkit for indie authors. And I had Pip Reed in mind when I announce that because I know Pip has told me before that she likes to hear me geeking on about WordPress websites and things like that. And that episode is recorded already, by the way. But uh, Pip just dropped me a couple of notes about some of the things that she uses in her business. And a couple of them I hadn't heard of before. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put Pip's uh, links, the, the links that she sent me, I'm going to put them on the resources page for episode 166. But she mentions a couple of things here that I haven't tried before. Um, something called Bookow, so book with O-W at the end, Bookow, which is a free ISBN generator to create ISBN barcodes for KDP print books. So uh, that was interesting. Now, that got me thinking. I haven't had a look at this yet, but it got me thinking. I thought that when you did a KDP print book, that KDP, KDP put the the barcode on, but I know things are different around the world, but my, my books get a KDP barcode on. So I'm not quite sure how you would use that, but I will share it anyway, because Pip says these ISBNs normally cost £25 each through Bowker, um, but you can get them free through this site. So this might be something to do with um, different arrangements in different parts of the world, but it might also be something to do with Pip wanting a unique barcode rather than a Kindle barcode. So I'm going to put the link on there. You could explore it yourself. I haven't had time to have a look at it at the moment, but I, I'll just share it with you because it's been a recommended resource. 
Pip also mentions that she uses Payoneer for funneling Amazon payments to New Zealand or Canada. So I'm assuming there are problems with that. Um, she uses Upwork to find suppliers. Upwork is a site I used to use a lot as an internet marketer. It's a great place to find freelancers. Um, but you tend to find freelancers there. Uh, you know, you'll pay, you'll pay a full rate. It's not like a Fiverr site. You will pay the proper rate for a proper job on Upwork. And that's why I've used it. In actual fact, my Facebook software. I found the contractor who built, and he was an excellent contractor, the contractor that built my Facebook software, I found on Upwork. I don't think it was called Upwork then. It was called something else, the name of which escapes me. Um, Elance, I think it was called in those days when I used it. Um, but I have used it a lot in the past, a lot in the past. Uh, Google Drive for file sharing. Adobe DC for PDF editing, which is a very handy thing to do if you want to, if you might want to mark up and change a PDF. Uh, Photoshop. I would say we don't need Photoshop anymore. Use Canva or Bookbrush for some specialist items. You need to use Photoshop, but I've got Photoshop and I'm trained in Photoshop at the BBC. I don't use it anymore. I only very reluctantly. Um, Pip also mentioned something called Backblaze, which I've not heard of before for computer backup and also something called Sendow, which is a website e-commerce site for file delivery and payment gateways, Stripe and PayPal. Now I use Payhip for that. And I, again, the thing is, is that because we're all over the world, we all have different rules and regs. So in the UK, I have to pay something called VAT Moss, VAT Moss, when I sell digital goods. So I use Payhip to deliver digital versions of my books and Payhip manage the, the VAT. There's also another site I know Joanna Penn uses Sells, S-E-L-Z. Joanna Penn uses Sells for that. But Pip's using one I haven't heard of before, and this is why I love the internet, because we can share all of this stuff between each other. Pip is using Sendow, which I will be checking out, of course, because that's what I like to do when people recommend software tools to me. So Pip, many thanks for that. Nice to see you getting all warmed up for the tech episode. And I'll have loads of tips for you coming up on, is it the 31st? Yeah, the 31st of August in my special tech toolkit for indie authors podcast episode. Nathan Burrows also tweeted me. Uh, to say that he'd been inspired by me, I think, booking for London Book Fair 2020. But also, as you know, I've taken a bit of a gamble that Mark Dawson's going to have an event on the Monday before London Book Fair. He's, he's spoken so much about it now. I just, I've just taken a punt on it that I reckon he'll have that event. So I thought, right, OK, I am going to go to London Book Fair this year. I've got to move my button, get down there because it's changed considerably since I went three or four years ago. And there are loads of indie authors there now. So I, I need to get down there. And, and if Mark Dawson then also holds a, uh, you know, a conference, a workshop, then that makes it, to coin a phrase, a no-brainer. I'm definitely going down for that. It's worth going down for that alone. So I've booked a hotel. I've booked a hotel near to the London Book, what's it called? London Book Fair, um, basically, because they'll all fill up nearer the time. I, I book it on Booking.com. I always, when I book on Booking.com, I always make sure that I don't get charged for it up front. And I also make sure that I could refund it with no penalties. So I could refund that booking. I've got four or five days booked in London, very, very cheaply at a hotel nearby London Book Fair. Um, I haven't been charged for it and I could refund it about till up to a week before. So if none of that comes to pass, if I have to change my plans, it won't cost me anything. Uh, but in the meantime, I've kind of secured cheap accommodation. So I did just say today, so make sure you've got a cancelable hotel because uh, I am, you know, winging it a little bit as far as Mark Dawson's event is concerned. But if Mark Dawson uh, advertises that event, I'm straight in there and buying a ticket because I've got my hotel booked. 
Uh, Edwin Downward has tweeted this week. Edwin said, uh, finish listening to Paul Teague list his 15 things I've changed my mind about. And Edwin was reeling from all the consolidated marketing points he made. And I, I hadn't thought of it like that, Edwin, is that what I've done is distilled loads of my experiences. But what you get from that is, is as you say, consolidated marketing points. You you bypass the four years of learning it took me to get there to make draw those conclusions. And, and you just get them as consolidated learning. I guess that's, the, that's why we all listen to podcasts, because we're trying to get the benefit of other people's experience. And also, uh, Lucy Branch tweeted me. Lucy was listening to 15 Things I Have Changed My Mind About in Self-Publishing in Croatia. And there's a lovely picture of a scene from Croatia there. It looks lovely, 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 Lucy. You know what I like with my foreign travel? I'm looking at that thinking, "Mm, it's time to go abroad again. It's time to book another trip. So uh, thank you very much for tweeting that. And finally, just to mention Tim Lewis. Now, Tim, I'm sorry, but you'll have to do better with the tweets because you're competing with Lucy this week. So Lucy has sent me a lovely scene from Croatia and Tim has tweeted me uh, with a picture of a metal railing overlooking a motorway in the UK saying listening to your show walking over the North Circular Road which is not quite as glamorous as Croatia. Um, Seriously I don't mind where you tweet me from I just it's really fascinating for me to see to get tweets like this and to see where you're listening I love to get them Uh, whether you're in the neighbourhood, just walking to the shops, or whether you're somewhere glamorous. It's always great to see where you are. So thank you, Tim. Thank you, Lucy, for sending me those tweets. Okay, that's it for this week's author news. I'll have more for you next Saturday. Coming up, after the short musical interlude, I'm getting the end-of-term report on my writing from Bill Kokas. And so now it's time for this week's special interview for the podcast. You may recall that when I wrote Now You See Her, author and podcast listener Bill Kokos volunteered to help with the initial edits. Now, Bill's job was to check on my US language and references to make sure that I didn't make any mess ups in my writing. Bill soon found that he was doing an an edit on my work. He was actually making corrections and I was fine with that. And he did a great job of it, too. He helped me to get that initial story tightened up and ready to go to Julie Cordoner, who's editing the book for me. This is an interview I recorded with Bill to find out the good, the bad and the ugly about my writing. I started by asking him how he found the experience of editing my book. It was very interesting and unsettling because I hadn't read anybody else's work at that stage. Um like I had my own. Now, I, I'm in a writer's group that I, I should have mentioned. I meet, we meet uh, twice a month. So I do get to see the first drafts of other writers, but it wasn't, it's, it's not on a continual basis with one work like it was with you. And um, because you had such a rigorous schedule, I was able to stay with the thread of the story. A lot of times in writer's group, when I'll get a submission, you know, we take turns. So Somebody will submit a chapter, you'll read it, you'll critique it, and then it'll be four months before you get another chapter, and you've forgotten all about it. Whereas with your story, it was every few days, and I could stay on track. I, could, I didn't have to re- really uh, refer back to the previous work to know where I was. Everything kind of moved forward, and I, was, I, could, I could stay with the story. And because of that, I was able to focus on the craft and the logic of the story. And that's where I know you <laughs> I, I know I overstepped my bounds a little bit, but you said it was OK. Uh, I was originally only supposed to be looking for Americanisms or Britishisms and, and converting them to Americanisms. 
but I couldn't help myself because I have learned so much. There's this big um, uh, accumulation of knowledge that I've gotten since I've been reading all these craft books, and I just wanted a chance to apply them. And when I saw things that I just – I thought, well, if this were me, I'd want to know. And I, that's when I, I started uh, dropping in comments here and there as far as like point of view goes or uh, something I've – been much more aware of myself with my own writing lately is uh, things they call helping words or distancing words. And when you say, you know, if you have a main character named Fred, and Fred saw through the window the police approaching the house. Well, you've already put some distance between the reader and the action because you're filtering it through Fred's point of view. And if he's already your point of view character, you you just say, the police approached the house. And you don't need to say that Fred saw it because we know that Fred saw it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to see it. So those are the kinds of things that I was uh, that were jumping out at me. I wasn't looking for them, but they were they were jumping out at me because I've become more aware of them now. So the helping words, the distancing words, um, the Americanisms. I don't know if you noticed me uh, making comments uh, along any other lines that that helped or not, but. Those were the things that uh, – because you're a very accomplished writer, and I really enjoyed Don't Tell Meg, which I'd read uh, last year. So I knew that I was partnering up with uh, somebody who knew what he was doing. Well, I appreciate that because I don't feel that at all. So, And actually, when I, <laughs> when I said to you about just uh, editing the Americanisms um, – the reason was is because what you were getting, I mean, you were literally getting what I'd written in Scrivener and I don't, I hadn't even read it through myself. I hadn't even read it myself at that point. I would write it and dump it into that document and no one but my wife has ever seen my writing as, as raw and, <laughs> you know, literally hot off the shelves uh, like that. So, so the reason I said that was because I thought oh, it's full of all sorts of stuff there because um, I, when I write, I don't stop. It's just, I go all the way through mm-hmm. and I know I make mistakes. Um, and I catch those obviously well, my wife usually catches those on a first read so you actually played the role of my wife in this scenario uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so so how how as a first sort of right then how did you find that how um, accurate did you find it uh, what do you mean by accurate well uh, g- given that that was straight out out the head and onto the page um, and, and did you find it reasonably accurate as a story or was it, you know, needed loads of polishing? How, how did you oh, find no. it? Oh, no. And then that's, I think that's a testament to the fact that, was that your 20th book? I know you said you've written 20 now. Was that the, the 20th? That was the 20th. Uh, that was the 20th. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> well, there you go. It, it's very evident that you've written 20 books because the first draft was very clean and, and uh, polished. Now, obviously, there were typos and other things that you said you know you you don't go back and look over but uh it was not i, I did not consider it to be a, a the manuscript of a beginner in any way and so were you um it's interesting because when we did our interview which will be running earlier in the week when people listen to this so they'll have heard your interview already one of the things that you said that you thought was a problem with your own books was that you were great at writing scenes but the overall momentum in the book was was not there now that's actually something that i really focus quite tightly on that every every chapter i try and end on a beat which is either a surprise um uh, you know a, a tension a revelation uh, a shock in some way did you feel that in that book 
Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And that, that's another thing that inspired me. And it, it uh, dovetails into something I'd read recently or heard on a podcast. I don't remember. But as a, as a way of maintaining suspense, when you get to the end of a scene and something is about to happen, don't let it happen. Yes. <laughs> let it happen in the next scene. And you did that masterfully, uh, particularly with the between the very uh, your second to last submission and the last submission when uh, your character was hanging upside down <laughs> by his seatbelt, and you you literally kept me on the edge of my seat because I was waiting to see what would happen and how he could get himself out of that. So I I'm going to start uh, becoming more aware of that myself. When you have something and you've got you know how you want it to end, you know how you want it to resolve. But just don't resolve it and wait till the next scene or the next chapter. It makes perfect sense. Great. Oh, well, I'm pleased it's been a useful experience for you too. Um, uh, now, I became really quite self-conscious of some really annoying habits on my part. So in this book, Bill, uh, I've never been as aware of me misusing hyphens, uh, either omitting them or adding them when they don't need <laughs> I, I have to be, I haven't got a clue and I just felt really sorry for you. You, were, <laughs> you did so much work with hyphens. <laughs> um, so what, what were my kind of, you know, and, it, and f- the whole point of this is just, just tell me it. Don't, don't hold back. You know, what, what are my real foibles as a writer? What's, what do I got to get right or work on there? Um, well, I had mentioned the the helping words and the distancing words, and I think you mentioned that one of your editors also said you had an issue with commas, and you couldn't remember if it was uh, too seldom or too often. <laughs> I will say I will say it's too seldom okay. because I found myself inserting commas here and there, uh, and really the I use commas uh, or I, I try to see if a comma will improve the clarity or the way a sentence reads out loud. And that's the basis by which I include them. So I don't, I don't like using them arbitrarily, but if it feels like there, there's a pause needed or that will increase the clarity of a particular sentence, I'll put it in there. I'm not one to shy away from commas. So I did notice that I would probably use them more than you use them. And you may decide to use them where I've suggested or not, because a lot of them are optional um, now, funnily enough, I, I don't uh, subscribe to the Oxford comma, at least not yet. I've been resisting because that's what they taught us in journalism school, that when you have a list, you do not put a comma after the last item in, or after the second to last item in a list. But I see that it's kind of making a resurgence. But I, I leave all that stuff to, a, to an editor, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm not good at grammar. Uh, I, I know I'm not good at grammar. And interestingly, I was explaining to Julie Cordner, who I'm also going to interview, by the way, to, to get her feedback because she's editing it right now uh, as a, if you want, inverted commas, a, f- a formal editor. She's doing the formal edit on it. Right. Um, uh, and I did say to her that my, my – I don't know whether this works with you as well because you're writing scripts to be read. I – I write very much how I how I would talk and say it, and um, so so I use punctuation to help me to read something, not necessarily in the correct way. <laughs> I, I use punctuation mm. differently, and that's a habit from working on the radio. In that, when I used to read a script, I used to put marks and pauses and lines in it, mm, right? Uh, to, so I I could pick up a script and read it and deliver it properly. That that's was the purpose of that punctuation for me. Whereas now, of course, I have to be more formal. I, I've just picked up so many bad habits. Is that, is that something you do in your writing? Because you're, you're, you are generally writing to be read, aren't you? 
Um, I'd say about half the time, yeah. It would be in a video or uh, be recorded in some way, but the rest of it is online or in print. Um, but I still have to think of how it sounds out loud. I mean, even when you read, th- read something to yourself in your head, you still hear it. You're still vocalizing in your head. So I want it to have the same ring on the page. Uh, now, I haven't gotten to the point of, of recording audiobooks, uh, and I don't know if you have either, but uh, the more I've read about that, the, I, I understand that there could be a whole other layer of editing that you need to jump into at that point because things that read well to the eye don't always sound good to the ear. You see, I always think I was told by my I, I did do an audio book and I was told by the guy who did it for me that it read really easily, which I would expect it to do as somebody who's worked in radio for years. I would expect it to be a, an instant read, which he pretty well said it was. He said it was a really easy read from his point of view. So that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I hopefully when I, I haven't I'm not into audio books in a huge way. That was really just a one off test for me. But hopefully they would be they would be easy to read with short breaths and things like that in them uh, all the time. Um, a couple of things I, I want to ask you about also is is dialogue. Um, how you felt the dialogue worked in that book? Now, the di- I, 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 there was very natural, good dialogue. The characters uh, played off of one another. It felt like the the responses were genuine and not something that you not words that you were putting in a character's mouth because you wanted them to be there. It felt like they were prompted by what the previous character said. So I think your dialogue is natural and it flows. Um, Two things I would point out that I didn't really get into in the book, but since you're asking. No, no, I want to know. um, This is good. Since you're asking, I I could use a little more physical description of the characters because, and this isn't to do with dialogue, but it would help me envision them better when they're interacting with each other. Um, And maybe you did it up front and then, uh, thought that we'd have enough to go with, but I don't, I don't mind being reminded occasionally of a character's physical mannerisms, or if they've got a a tick as they call them, you know, something to to distinguish them, um, to set them apart from each other when, when, when you can do it in an organic way. So that's the thing. It's, it's better not to do it than to do it in a way that sticks out. Um, and I've read things like, you know, she brushed her red hair behind her ear oh, yes. and took a look in the mirror, you know, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not organic. But uh, if there is a way to work it in organically, I could I could use a little more physical description. And then the, you had one character, um, Bianca, who was a teenager. And if you did a, a solo edit pass all the way through the book just to focus on her language I would recommend that to uh, to get her speaking more like a contemporary teenager, albeit a mature one. But I had uh, every once in a while I had the feeling, and I think I did note this a couple times, that it sounded she almost sounded too much like an adult in certain areas, and and, and had phrases that I don't know that uh, somebody her age would be using. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. So the, the, let me talk about description because that, this is interesting. Uh, you've raised an interesting point. I intentionally don't put description in my books. That That's actually a proactive thing that I do. And the, okay. Uh, it, it's up for discussion. Um, but and the, that, 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 therefore, I noticed something that was intentional. Yes. And the reason I don't do that is, and this again comes back to radio 
is that uh, when I was on the radio and people would meet me and they were used to my voice, it's the same with the podcast, actually. People say, you're not how I imagined you to be. And, um, and, I, and I've had this all, all my life. And, that, and I know that people who are on the radio have this all their life. You're not who I, who, how I imagined you to be. And so what I like to leave the reader, and I'm very proactive with this, is I don't like to tell you what these people are like. I like to give you a general indication so that you can imagine it yourself. And, and I, that reflects, I, I find description boring and frequently tedious probably because it's been done badly as a reader I don't require it because I like to imagine it and so I am very sparse on description so but it, it's interesting that you say that because Helen Fazal will say a bit more description here sometimes in, in, you know in the notes and and if she says it I'll do it I, I do add a bit <laughs> of description but no that that's interesting but I'm very sparse on description and I and I know it and I do it intentionally but it's interesting that you say that. And with Bianca, um, interestingly, with your changes that you made, Bill, I think I made every, I think I virtually did every change, but about two of them. And usually if I don't accept a change, and this is the same with Helen Fazal, it's only because it's stylistic. So Helen will sometimes say to me, I mean, my chapter breaks, do you need a, um, do you need a break here? And I, and I will ignore that because I, yes, I do, because I've written it. Um, intentionally because I don't like long chapters I like short mm, sharp, punchy chapters so it's stylistic yeah. at that point so no I probably you know I probably don't need it but I don't care because that's how I'm writing the book you know so it's 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 not um, it's just stylistic it's just my style so um but I and with Bianca I made so all the changes you suggested um I made uh, with that so uh, I, I, oh okay no no I I pretty I you said I'm, I think I'm very uh, very easy to steer because I actually, you know, I really, I really enjoyed you going through that book, and I just accepted everything. You, you can't see it in the document, but where, what you'll see, probably in the document you see, where I everything's been ticked with the except, uh, I just go through them and tick them and change them in my document. I went through everything and changed everything, and I've accepted pretty well all of them. Um, to be honest with you, so I thought it was a really good edit. I, you know, thoroughly appreciate it. It was uh, well. Thank. I enjoyed the process as well. So, what do you do at that point? Do you export it back to Word and import it back into Scrivener? So I had I have two screens on my PC. I had you on Drive on my right hand screen, and I had my Scrivener script. And what I do with Scrivener is I always keep the draft. So in Scrivener, I had the first draft written, which is what got dumped into Drive for you. I then right clicked and duplicated it, and that became version two. And version two, I worked through meticulously every change that you made. So I worked through all of your changes in isolation and, and where I agreed with them, which was all the time pretty well, I made them in Scrivener. And then I, see. Then I read it through for continuity myself and made changes because, remember, I hadn't read it through yet. So I made your changes, which were generally technical changes. And then I read it through myself to make sure I was happy with it. And then that, at that point, it, went, it then goes to Julie Cordner because that's two of us being over it. And, um, you know, and, and now I'm waiting for Julie to do her inverted commas pro proper edit on it. But I, I felt that your edit was really, it was a really tight edit. It felt, it felt like it was pretty good by the time you and I had been through it. I don't know how good. you feel. Well, I would, yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think it was definitely uh, by the time you went back behind me, I would, I would say that's definitely ready to uh, ship out to a formal editor, so to speak. The other thing I wanted to ask, but again, this is a craft thing, and again, because you've had unique access to my my work that no one else has ever had before, except my wife. So it has been a little bit, 
you know, I was a little bit nervous about it and, and felt a little bit exposed with it. So this is great <laughs> feedback for me. It's really interesting for me. Uh, obviously, the part of a thriller is that I keep you, you know, suspend, in suspense until the end. Um, and then I, I try to release the, the, the information, the kind of whodunit, the surprise, the twist, until as late as I possibly can. I think I got to <laughs> the penultimate chapter almost with this one. <laughs> yes, you succeeded. <laughs> and I said, I don't know what's going to happen, so let me know as soon as you can. So I did succeed in that, did I? Because I, I, I always want that <laughs> uh, moment. Now, oh, it's him. I had, yeah. And, and had that been foreshadowed correctly is the other thing. As far as, yeah, in, in my mind. Everything, well, like they said, surprising but inevitable. You know that phrase. So it, I, I, once you explained it all, I could see it coming. But at the same time, like, oh, yeah, you had that reaction that you, it had been properly set up, but you just didn't understand where the payoff was, how the payoff was going to work itself out. Good one. I'm pleased we kept you getting to the end because that, of course, is the trick of the thriller. So I'm pleased about that. And you did you made a couple of, um, again, very useful uh, points right at the end. So I have that scene at the end. And, and thanks for that, because I put both of those in. you made a lovely suggestion about having a child's drawing next to the hospital bed, which I thought was perfect. Uh, and that is in the final draft. I've pinched that off you. That was a great idea. Uh, so thank you <laughs> very artistic well, I, thought. I, I was i was inspired because i i was I, right now i'm working on uh, or at the time i was working on the last chapter of my own book and so loose ends were very much on my mind and uh getting everything resolved and everybody's future accounted for so what happens to these characters what happens to these characters and you can't possibly get them all in the same room at you know in the final scene because that would just be awkward so you have to figure out a way to reference them that feels natural and so the reader thinks that, okay, well, I feel good about that character, even though I can't see them. I know that they're in good, you know, they're in a safe place and <laughs> everything's been worked out for them. So I thought that was, yeah, I, I was thinking about, well, what about this character? What about this character who aren't in the room at the very last scene? But how can you address them without having somebody step in and awkwardly say, well, as far as uh, somebody is concerned. So you, ha you can just do it uh, almost in the background. Yeah, it was a great idea. It was inspired having that picture and emotional too. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, I put some text in there, you know, from the from the little girl who was who was snatched, and uh, and I thought, oh, that's lovely. That's a lovely um, emotional note. Uh, as I was writing it, I was getting a bit upset. Yeah, which is which <laughs> is always good if you get upset by your own book. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so long as it's not because Absolutely. it's so bad. That's that's the. I don't know. <laughs> um, so okay, now I so I really I want to go on record as just saying how much I appreciate it, Bill. I just think you did a sterling job, and uh, you were in there virtually the minute I dubbed it in the document. You were kind of in there editing it, so I do appreciate the time you took for that. It's fantastic. Um, if you well, I used it. I almost used it as a device to uh, get myself fired up to do some writing. So, I, if I was on the fence about, well, do I do I want to jump in and, and write something myself right now? And then I saw that you had some new words available. I thought, well, let me do that first. <laughs> I'll see what Paul's done. I'll I'll get in the mood and mindset in the right frame of mind. And so I, I was kind of using that as a a way to segue into my own writing. You know, you've just given me a, a, a great potential future idea for the podcast, which is that I could uh, I could write a book and actually make that document available to listeners of the podcast, which might be fascinating for people to, to just follow the course of one of my books. That would be, I'd have to 
think that through just to make sure I could lock it, you know, and make sure no one can pinch yeah, it. I was going like to say, that. yeah, <laughs> that could be a nightmare if you uh, <laughs> if they were able to get in there and start messing around. But uh, if you're able to just, uh, yeah, view only, I guess. Yeah, I'd have to think about that. I'd, I'd hate <laughs> to find that I'm a bestseller, but under somebody else's name and the checks are going to somebody else. That, that would be the worst point of my career, I think. So, <laughs> so uh, what will you take from that experience, Bill? So having sort of seen somebody else, because you don't ever get to see this, do you? don't ever get to see somebody else writing what will you take from that into your writing now um well i've already i don't know if i said this in this segment or the previous segment but you have inspired me to become more regular with my schedule and establish a schedule and i know you are, you've been doing this a while and you sit down and you write whether you want to or not you just know because you treat it as a business and you know when you've got a commitment, you've got to live up to the commitment. Whereas I'm still uh, transitioning from it's a hobby and I do it when I feel like it and I enjoy it when I feel like it. But um, I need to force myself. And it's funny because when I, when I do force myself and when I do get some writing done, I, I always enjoy it. But I guess it's like going to the gym, and I don't like going to the gym, but I'm glad I finished when I'm done, and I, you know, I look back, and I never regret going to the gym. Uh, it's just a matter of getting there to begin with. So you, uh, your model of uh, productivity is, is probably the big, biggest single inspiration. And what do I need to take for it finally? If you were giving me a teacher's report card, if I'm one of your students, uh, what does my end-of-term report say? <laughs> Be mindful of your points of view. So I would say as you as you get into a scene, because you, you had – the book I'm writing right now has one point of view, so it's not as much of an issue. Um, but when you're jumping around, it's it can be tempting to reflect the story from another person's point of view in the scene because it makes a point you really want to make. But you can't because you're limited to the point of view of that particular character. So you have to find ways to extract that uh, other uh, in, in another way. So that that was probably the one thing I'd say that you could bring into each scene is the, the, uh, the sense of immediacy for the point of view character as you're getting into it to know exactly what they want and exactly how they plan to go about getting it. And of course, they're not going to succeed, or if they do, there's going to be a price to pay. Um, but it's just that, you know, just being in the, in the head of that character right off the bat and feeling the urgency that they feel. That was Bill Cocos speaking to me about his experiences editing the very first draft of my book, Now You See Her. That's it for this week. Thanks ever so much for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed the slightly different format. I'll be back with another Paul's Podcast Diary next Saturday. Until then, have a great week of writing, editing, whatever it is you're doing in your indie author business. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.